0: We are about to dive into this passage in Second Corinthians to prepare ourselves for the Word. I like to talk to our young ones. We do this every Sunday uh, because young ones, uh, kids, we more than anything, we want you to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me prepare you for what we're about to read in God's Word uh, by telling you a little story about my oldest son, Jax. Uh, this is a true story. It happened a long time ago. Uh, Jax went to school one day. And he came back and said, Hey, our school is uh, collecting money, collecting an offering to give to kids in India because uh, they need school supplies. And, and so I want to give my money to, uh, to, to the kids in India. And he had $40. And, and we said, Jack, that's so amazing. That's so generous of you. How much do you want to give? And he said, I want to give it all. And, and we said, Jax, you, you've worked really, really hard. You know, he, he really had. He had worked uh, and saved and worked and saved and saved and worked. Uh, and so this was his, this was his life savings, uh, kids. And uh, so $40. He says he wants to give all of it. His mom says, please, why don't you just hold on to at least $5? I uh, mean, after all this bargaining, and he said, fine, I'll hold on to $5. Five minutes later, he comes back. He says, no, all of it. Mm-hmm. They need it. I don't need it. So, Jax gave away 40 bucks to the kids in India for school supplies. The next day, I don't know if Jax didn't have a good night's sleep. He was cranky, and he was really mean to us all day. Really rude, really short with us all day. And and then later in the day, Jax came back, and he handed me and his mom a card that he had made. And inside the card, he wrote, Mom, Dad, I'm so sorry for being so mean. I just can't live Without you, I love you. And there was a $5 bill (laughs) in the card, which, so, so, this is like, this is what we're gonna talk about today. Okay, so Jack's giving all that money, like, that was really, really generous. But it made me wonder okay, wait, is he giving us $5 to buy our love, to buy, like, our grace, our forgiveness? And where did he get that other $5? I thought he gave all his money away. Okay, so uh, question to you guys, kids. Do we, like we give money to the church, right? Do we give money to the church so that God will give us a good life? No. Okay. Let's say that out loud. Like, no. But guess what? Everyone around you, we, we easily slip into thinking, yes, if I give money to the church, God will be good to me. Do we give money to the church so that Jesus will love us and save us? No. Because, because what? Because Jesus has what? He's a, Henry, he already loves us. He's already sent his son to save. God the Father gave us everything. He gave us his own son to save us from our sin, to love us, to forgive us, to give us grace. So now what we do, when we give money to the church, we're giving it as an act of grace too. We're not giving it to get good things from God. We've got the best thing ever from God. We've got his son. We have salvation because Jesus lived for us and died for us. Now we give our offering, we call it an offering, we give our offering to the church so that the church can tell more people about Jesus, so that the church can care for those in our church family who do need help. That's why we give. That's what we're going to talk about today. This is, kids, if you didn't know this, your parents are wondering uh, what we're about to, when you talk about money in the church, no one really likes it. So this is going to be fun today. All right. All right. Here we go. We're jumping into 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to be in chapter 9, because for two chapters, Paul here is talking about giving. If if, if you're just joining us, we're in 2 Corinthians. This is his second letter to this church in Corinth, very different from the first letter, which dealt with a series of problems. This one, 2 Corinthians, is super personal because Paul and this church are totally at odds with one another because the church in Corinth, after they got that first letter, they no longer like Paul. They don't like Paul, and they do not like his message, his gospel of, of grace. And so, this Second Corinthians letter is super, super personal, addressing this one problem, that they don't like the gospel. So, uh, please stand with me for the reading of God's word, beginning in chapter 8. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God to the lord and then by the will of god to us accordingly we urged titus that as he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace but as you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in, in our love for you see that you excel in this act of grace also i say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word of the Lord. And please be seated. So this this financial offering that Paul's talking about, uh, he talks about it for two chapters, all of eight, all of nine. It's the same offering that Paul talked about for just two verses at the very end of his first letter in 1 Corinthians, where he said this, Now concerning the collection for the saints on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, and I'll send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. That's who this is for. This offering is for the churches in Jerusalem, because the churches in Jerusalem are going through terrible, awful persecution. Uh, The new Christian faith that's there, That where it was born there in Jerusalem, it's divided everyone. Uh, the Jewish converts to Christianity who are in Jerusalem, they've now been ostracized by the Jewish community. They've lost family, they've lost friends, they've lost jobs. Some have been thrown in prison. Some have lost their lives. And there have been famines to go along with all of it. So Paul is taking up a financial offering to help provide for those Christians who are in desperate need in Jerusalem. And he's asking the church in Corinth Because at this time, there is no persecution of the church in Corinth. All the hard stuff that the Corinthians are are going through, it's all internal. It's all their own junk. It's all their own infighting. It's not coming from without. And mostly this is because this is a Greek city, and it's super wealthy. It's a port city, super wealthy, and everyone is too busy making Tons of money to care about the Christian church that's there in Corinth. People don't care. The Corinthian church, it's a wealthy church. It's upper class, it's middle class citizens in this church. But Paul and the Corinthian church, they have they are at total odds with one another right now. Uh, They have been where there's there's still this, there's been some healing. But there is still a minority, in the, a very, very significant minority in the Corinthian church that does not think Paul is a true apostle. There's a group of prosperity-preaching charlatans that have, that have assumed leadership in the church that Paul and this church are still so much at odds that they have stopped collecting the offering that they started to collect when they first got Paul's first letter. Uh, and now Paul is saying, okay, yeah, now start that up again and I'm going to send people from Macedonia to you that you don't know so that they can get your offering that I know you're going to give, and they'll hand it off to me, and then I'll take it and give it to Christians in Jerusalem you don't know. And scholars agree that the amount that Paul is collecting here, because he's not just collecting in Corinth, he's collecting from all the churches out west, that this probably amounts to something like $300,000 in today's money. And Paul does spend a lot of chapter eight and nine explaining how they're going to handle this, this this offering carefully. Uh, it's going to all be done above board. It's done. It's going to be done properly. It's going to be done in a responsible way. There's going to be all this accountability with all these people who are known uh, uh, that that are that are going to be handling this. But Paul, but Paul is going to travel by land and sea uh, to get this to Jerusalem. And you got to remember, this is Paul who meets tragedy. At every turn, like everywhere he goes, mishap, every he's been robbed, he's been shipwrecked numerous times. Give me money to give to people you don't know. This this is just a big ask from beginning to end. But he asks, and that's he asks, he does not command. Chapter 8, verse 8 I say this not as a command. Chapter 9, verse 5, this is not an exaction. And what you don't read here or anywhere else in the New Testament, but if you were expecting to see it somewhere, you'd expect to see it right here. This is perfect timing. You don't see anything about a tithe. In the Old Testament, Israel was commanded to tithe a certain percentage to the temple for the priests, for the festivals that they're going to put on. And it's all very, very ceremonial. After Jesus' resurrection, there is no mention of the church commanding a tithe in the New Testament because the temple, the priesthood, the festivals, they're done. The the commanding, the guilting, the shaming, pounding over and over of the church, tithe, 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 that doesn't work. It's just not in the long run. It just doesn't work. And we know that because the numbers don't lie, because giving giving to the church has only gone down as our country has grown more affluent. Paul knows that commanding generosity, it won't make the church more generous. Have you all ever heard of a monkey trap? I may have told you all about a monkey trap before. Uh, we, you know, It's that saying, don't get caught in a monkey trap. It, Poachers use this, scientists use this to capture monkeys all across the world because it's super easy to capture a monkey with this trap. You get a coconut or you get a gourd, something big, hollow, uh, and and some kind of container, you cut a small hole in it, and then you tie a rope uh, around this container, you stake it to the ground, so you secure this thing, then you put something in it like a banana or a candy bar. And you wait, and the monkey comes along, he smells the treat, and he can just barely squeeze his hand into the opening, and then he grabs that treat, but now he's made a fist, and now he can't get his hand out of the trap. The scientist can stroll up to this monkey. Uh, Doesn't have to run, doesn't have to sneak, can walk right up announcing their presence. Here I come, monkey. Uh, And here's the monkey freaking out, screaming, swatting, jumping, biting, clawing, kicking, not letting go of the treat. All the monkey has to do is let go, and he's free. But with capture and death approaching, the monkey does not let go. The monkey is trapped, and that's, that, that. it's all of us. It's all, we're all that monkey and the tra- Don't get caught in the monkey trap. You are the, we are the monkey caught in the trap uh, to one degree or another. We're all trapped by our love and our want of money. This thing we are so enticed by, and once we get some of it, we don't want to let it go, even if we see it is enslaving us, even if we see it is leading to our death. And so what? <laughs> and it's not going to change even if someone commands us to give it away. And, and that's because there's fear wrapped up in this stuff. Like, you get scared with the money. You get scared because you think you don't have enough money. Or you know, what it's, you know what it's like to not have money. You've been there. You've been through seasons of life where there was not enough money. Or maybe it is you just don't know what to do with your money or you've mishandled your money, or you've seen family, you've seen friends, you've seen, you've seen people you love mishandle money, and it's been ter- terrible. You've seen it destroy families. And there's pride. What, what you have, you've earned. We live in a capitalist society, like what, you've, what you have, you've earned through hard work, or, or maybe you have inherited through a loved one's hard work, and it's 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 yours, and and no one should tell you. No one should get to tell you. To do, no one should get to just take it from you or tell you what to do with it. And the command to give our money away, even to help others, it won't help because the default mode of our heart, ever since the fall of mankind, it's individualistic. It is consumeristic. Uh, uh, one commentator has, has put it this way, as in the default mode of our heart, he said, I will craft my life the way I want to craft my life, and I will only include other people as much as it serves my purposes. And Paul here, he's not commanding, but he's also not being passive-aggressive. Like the, He's not shaming the Corinthians with uh, when he brings up this Macedonian offering. This is this other group of churches mentioned here, the Macedonian churches. Those are churches in northern Greece. You know these these are churches: Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi. These churches, like those in Jerusalem, these are poor, very poor churches. They're not quite as poor as those in Jerusalem, but the, these are these are Roman areas. That the Macedonian churches are in, and so there is very very terrible persecution paul has seen it paul has faced it as he planted these churches they're facing persecution from both romans and jews so th- these churches are made up and we have accounts of this in you know in, in uh, acts and in these letters that the- these churches are made up of middle you know lower class citizens poor people uh, uh slaves working class these these are the these are persecuted poor macedonian christians and they give this offering, and give this offering for the poor persecuted Jerusalem Christians, and Paul did not ask them to give. Paul wasn't even going to mention it to the Macedonians uh, because he knew they were in no position to give, but then they found out what he was doing heading to Corinth, and it's their idea to give the offering. Paul says, he told them no, he refused them until, verse 4, they begged us, begged us earnestly for the <laughs> favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Okay, but mentioning the Macedonians here, it's not shame tactics. The reason he gives the Corinthians to give financially is the same reasons the Macedonians gave Paul, why they were begging to give. Verse five, chapter eight, he says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. As in the Macedonians, they didn't give to get something, They gave because they love Jesus. And they love who Jesus loves, his church. Even if they will never meet these other Christians till heaven. Uh, Another commentator like this, he said, "Because, because the church is this thing all over the world, it is a regular occurrence going all the way back to the beginning of the church with the apostles that people give their money to the church for the church. And sometimes they entrust their offering into the hands of someone they don't personally know. To take it to the hands of other people, they don't know. And we don't like the unknown, especially with our money. We are risk averse. We want to know the contingencies. But to be generous, you have to embrace the unknown, especially if you're going to be a global Christian. Well, let's just get personal here. Uh, uh, You, you here, you entrust your offerings to the mission of this church. This church started out as a mission itself, and we're only four years old. And when this thing started, we were walking into the unknown. We've always had a purpose. We've always had a plan. But you cannot plan for every contingency in planting a church. COVID. Freeze. Freeze. All that stuff to the, to the very mundane, everyday stuff of space. Where, when are we going to meet? Uh, uh, infrastructure, finances. Who is Jesus going to bring us to spiritually and physically care for? And if you're here long enough, you, you, get, you do get to see. And you entrust your offerings to us to give to others, to give to our missionaries. Missionaries like our REF college m- missionaries to Rice and, and U of H. You give so that we can give to Kimmy Moda, our very own Kimmy, who's, who's full-time staff with RUF at U of H. And you, you do get to see Kimmy. And if you don't know uh, and get to hang out with Kimmy, you need to. Uh, but you have that opportunity where you get to see Kimmy and you get to hear about what she's doing. And we do get to see some of the people, some of the girls that she ministers to, but not most of them. And you never will. But she's out there ministering the gospel to, to, to so many that we will never, will never actually get to actually interact with. And, and, and through the work of the gospel, they become our brothers and they become our sisters. That's walking into the unknown. You entrust your offerings to us to give to our global missionaries. Dominique Svetl, ministering in Slovakia. Joel Spence, ministering to Ukrainians in Eastern Europe. Allison, who just prayed for us, yes, she is here for now, but not she's working towards ministering the gospel in Central Asia, and we will not see the brothers and the sisters that they reach with the gospel until heaven. Like that is embracing the unknown with your offerings. But Paul's not, Paul is not talking about strangers in Jerusalem, like they're their distant, their distant cousins. Paul knows the Christians in Jerusalem because Paul used to kill them. You know, this is Paul, who used to be a former child prodigy, his rising pupil, star of the Pharisees. His, his zeal for the Jewish law is, is un, it was unmatched, but he had misinterpreted it uh, to believing that an individual was saved by works of the law. And he's hearing all this Christian gospel stuff of, a, of grace and, and a savior fulfilling the law for them, threatening everything that he has built everything that he is working towards, everything that he's devoted his life to. So now he devotes his life to tearing Christianity down. And then Jesus converts Paul. And Paul transitions from killing Christians to leading Christians, from terrorizing the church to building it up, from driving people away to drawing all kinds of people to Jesus, from threatening people to curse Jesus to teaching people to confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And the church is only, we, we, it's so easy to forget this, the church is only so big at the beginning for the rest of Paul's life. Like whenever he's preaching fellowshipping, he is, he is looking at somebody he's affected. Somebody whose wife, husband, daughter, son, mom, dad, sister, brother, he killed can you imagine what it would be like for Paul after he'd be, become a, a Christian? He's out all day preaching, ministering the gospel, and then the quiet of the night. He remembers the voices crying out as he's, as he's tearing families apart, marching them off to jail to die. These are people now that he would consider brothers and sisters, but they're gone because he cast his vote against them and Jesus his grace it's bigger than Paul in all of his sin it covers it heals it mends those divides to make an enemy family when you read first century historians you read these guys writing about the church they think the church is so weird Greeks and Jews taking care of each other, real relationships between rich and poor, between slaves and their masters, embracing each other and treating each other, caring for each other like their family? What is that? Paul is not just collecting money for strangers that they will never meet a thousand miles away. He's asking former Greek pagans to send money to Jewish Christians a thousand miles away, yes. But these are the same, these people who were once enemies, he, he says this, these are the same Jewish Christians who sent Paul a thousand miles away with the greatest treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That their enemies, the Greek pagans, might become their family, and now he's saying, "Now take care of your family." The other weirdest thing uh, uh, in this passage is, you know, what word never and I didn't, I didn't, you know, we didn't do both uh, chapters entirely, but both, you know, what word never appears in chapter eight or chapter nine of Second Corinthians? The word money not once. And this is all about giving. The words Paul uses to refer to this offering, it's grace, gift. Verse one, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Verse six, so he should complete among you this act of grace. This offering, he calls it an act of grace. Verse 7, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, gave everything for us. Verse 19, he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace. As in, I know we look put together, and you do. You look so good this morning. You look so fabulous. Uh, uh, but he, we here as much as anywhere, anyone, uh, anywhere else, need God's offer of grace, as much as we dress ourselves up in clothes, and makeup, and showers, and colognes, and perfumes, that is not what God sees when He looks at a person. He sees a sinner, and you smell like your addictions. You you stink. Uh, you are starving spiritually. You're homeless. You don't belong in heaven. As much as we dress ourselves up in our works and success and reputation, God sees a sinner stained with sin. Even even your good works are filthy rags. And you are a danger to yourself and to others. And God offers us his son. Paul ends, this verse was not in our passage, but Paul ends these two chapters, he ends with the gospel. Last verse of chapter 9, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's the gift of his son. God is the original giver to the poor, or we would not be here. Our gracious offering to each other of physical, spiritual means, it flows out of God's gracious offering of his son. The only means to eternal, physical, spiritual life. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. When was Christ rich? Y'all, really, in heaven, for all eternity, forever and ever. Like, he was rich in heaven as the Son of God from all eternity, the rightful heir of the cosmos, worthy of all worship. He had the privileges, the rights of the second person of the Trinity, and he gave it all up, all the privileges, all the rights, willingly to come and live a poverty-stricken life, born to a poor woman, to an oppressed people, to a poor life, and then he died a sinner's death on the cross. That life, that death, that poor life, that wretched death, that saves us that blesses us eternally, forgives us all of our sins, restores our, our right relationship to God, a relationship of love and of favor. Blesses us with eternal life. And, and y'all, this eternal life that we talk about that is coming, you will be tangibly wealthy in the new heavens, in the new earth. Physically blessed forever as you are made joint heirs of the cosmos. His becoming poor made us rich. And Paul will not command, he won't command them to give. And here's a so what, he also won't tell them how much to give. How much should you give? How much should you give? I don't know. The tithe in the Old Testament was 10%. Some want to ante that up. Uh, uh, to, I don't know, something like 12, just more. It's got to be more in the New Testament. This is not what Paul, it's not what Paul does. If 10%, if that's a good guide for you, fine, great, okay, great. Not everyone can give 10%. And some of you, some of you are thinking, this is the worst ask ever. Okay, um, give the way the Macedonians gave. Chapter 8, verse 3, they gave according to their means give according to what give according to what you can afford like that is that is okay don't give beyond don't give beyond what you can worst ask ever like yeah, the macedonians the macedonians that did do that paul says like that's not that's not normal that's not expected and you don't give superstitiously to get something the prosperity gospel peddlers back in Corinth, are undoubtedly scaring the Corinthians into giving by saying that the way to get blessed in this life, you want health, you want wealth, you want that success, give to this ministry. And that is still going on today. Give the way Paul encourages the Corinthians to give. Chapter 9, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver." it's that question like what are you hearing right now in in the 2000 comedy loosely based on Homer's Odyssey oh brother uh, brother, where art thou there there are three convicts they're on the run and they're looking for a buried treasure they run into an an old man who surprises them saying this just out of nowhere you seek a great fortune you three who are now in chains and you will find a fortune though it will not be the fortune you seek but first you must travel a long and difficult road a road fraught with peril and pregnant with adventure you shall see things wonderful." Wonderful to tell, you shall see a cow on the roof of a cotton house, and oh so many startlements. I cannot say how long this road will be, but fear not the obstacles in your path. For fate has vouchsafed your reward. And though the road may wind, and yea, your hearts grow weary, still shall ye follow the way even unto your salvation. And then later Delmar, one of the convicts, says, How do you know about the treasure? And then Everett, who's kind of the leader of the gang, says, Don't know. Delmar, though the blind are reputed to possess sensitivities compensating for their lack of sight even to the point of developing paranormal psychic powers now clearly seeing the future would fall neatly into that category it's not so surprising then if an organism deprived of an earthly vision and then Pete comes back he said we wouldn't get it he said we'd, we we wouldn't get the treasure we seek and then Everett snaps back what does he know he's an ignorant old man as in like one moment, in one, one moment, the seer has paranormal psychic powers, and the next, he's an ignorant old man. We can be privileged to be with the expert, and they can tell us what we need to know. And if then they tell us something that we don't want to hear, we don't hear it. Like, it's the gospel that we need to hear. Jesus offered up for us. And yeah, it begs like. Okay, so did Paul's appeal work? Does the gospel work? Well, in his very next letter to the church in Rome, Paul writes this in chapter 15, At present I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia. That's the Greek region where Corinth is. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the more, for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Yes, the gospel works. Let's pray. Father, we come uh, because you've called us, you've gathered us here, to lift up the name of your beloved Son, our Lord and our Savior, in whom we have everything. Father, uh, everything we need for this life, every, literally everything to come in the next life, you've given it all to us by making us joint heirs with your Son, all by your grace. Lord, help us to believe what we have. Help us to believe what is to come. And in, in that grace, knowing that grace, that it would overflow to the mission of this church and your church around the world, that we would continue to proclaim Christ and him crucified for salvation, where there is no other message. And, Father, help us. We do not, we, we do not deny the material. We do not deny the physical and the importance and awesomeness of your physical creation. Help us to care for one another's physical needs to walk alongside each other, Father, to, to, to help those who are in need of our help and to love them, to make sure that those in our midst, that those that we are ministering to, Father, that they, that they are not in desperate need. Lord, bless us to be gracious. Bless us to offer up that grace that you have given to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.